Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah 25. It is um, a scripture about the messianic banquet, um, God's messianic feast, where there'll be a celebration at the end of time where God will overthrow evil and there'll be joy for eternity with God. And it's a banquet that Jesus teaches about uh, in Matthew. But first we'll read from Isaiah chapter 25, 6 to 9. I'll invite forward Jody to read that for us. Isaiah 25, verse 6 to 9. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 8, and we're picking up at Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5. Let us hear God's word together. When Jesus... had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Lord, he said to him, shall I come? Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am myself a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have, found, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. And when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were 
brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what the prophet uh, through, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Let us pray. Gracious God, your word is to us the word of life. Uh, our direction is set not from our own thinking, but from your word. And so send your Holy Spirit, we ask, uh, upon this time. Speak to us the word that we need to hear. Open your word to our hearts that we may be changed, encountered by you, comforted where we need comfort, challenged where we need challenged, and sent as you would send us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title for today's message and the title for this series is As One with Authority. And the title for today's part of that series is As One with Authority to Heal, to Heal. I think, you know, the vision for our world right now is as torn and divided uh, at this moment as it has been in most of our lifetimes. It feels like the whole world in, in some way in these last two years has been pulled apart and it feels like it's more acute than ever in this moment and in this time. Politically, our world right now is undergoing major shifts in countries understanding or coming to new ways of understanding what values they are going to use for their identity and purpose and direction as nations and societies. And we see this all over the world going in different directions. Our world is torn and divided when it comes to justice. Justice now is, is meted out where? On, on, on social media. Uh, the crowd is the judge, the jury, and the executioner. In fact, the, the meme, the little picture on social media now, a really famous one, is of all things a guillotine for people who must be put done away with. Economically, during COVID, we've seen such a divide economically in our country here in Canada, but also Western world and the rest of the world. We've seen how some people can afford a world pandemic and how some people's lives are totally changed. How many, some of us here, that has been accentuated with a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck, and that's not even enough sometimes. And others during COVID have spent it in their second, third, or fourth residences. But Jesus gives in Matthew... Uh, a vision, a different vision for the world, a different hope, a different wish for the world that the triune God has made. And we see a wonderful summary of what Jesus is about and what he is doing in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. I'll just read that for us. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. It's the beginning of Christ's ministry. It's, a, it's what he's... When Jesus went through Galilee, we read, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people, 
news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. So we look at today's passage as one with authority to heal. I hope we'll get a, a taste of the vision that Jesus, the risen and ascended Jesus, had for our lives and for our world and how we as Christians are called to live that out and be drawn into that in our daily lives. So as you look at this passage, I should have started my clock. Oh, okay, this could be longer than I thought. Um, that first five minutes didn't count. Uh, but look, four ways I think we can look at this passage together as one with authority to heal. Four aspects of Christ's authority. First, the nature of his authority. Second, we'll look at what honors his authority. His authority is honored by something. The scope of his authority. And we'll look at the foundation of his authority. Today's passage starts uh, in verse 5. I'll just reread that for us. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So this story starts in Capernaum. You'll see a map up there on the screens uh, where Capernaum is. It's at the very north tip of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is the home base for Jesus' Galilean ministry. He spends 20 months in Capernaum. It's a pleasant seaside town. And we see that in Capernaum, a centurion comes up to Jesus and speaks to him. Centurions uh, are officers in the Roman army. Uh, centurion means a hundred, uh, so he would have commanded a hundred men in the Roman army. Some people say 80, but just call it 100 for sake of simplicity. Uh, and he was a middle-ranking officer, one who was quite trustworthy, quite reliable. He had to be an able kind of man. Uh, he had long service. He was sort of promoted a little bit within the ranks. He was responsible. And here we are in this pleasant hometown of Jesus, where Jesus spends a long time doing a lot of miracles up in Capernaum, and a Roman uh, officer comes in here and begins speaking to Jesus. We know from the historian Polybius, we have a wonderful quote about centurions. Uh, centurions must uh, not be so much venturesome seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action and reliable. They ought not be over-anxious to rush into the fight, but when they are hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and to die at their posts. So here is a man, a situation that starts in quote, a matter-of-fact way, quite a calm way, a, a steady town, a small town, a pleasant town, and a steady centurion, reliable, trustworthy, as a matter-of-fact. As we read these verses, as we get introduced to this part of the story, it's a little bit strange. Some strange things kind of open up in this story. The first strange thing is, that this centurion who's used to commanding a hundred men in the Roman army actually comes himself and asks something of Jesus. The one who is used to saying things and, and other people just do them, he's the one now coming asking for something himself. The one who is unyielding and forceful and marching forward in the, in, in the Roman military is the one who's yielding now to Jesus. And we see in this Roman centurion, he comes close to Jesus, a humility in his heart. 
which seems out of place. Also out of place is we see how he is worried about his servant. If you're a centurion and you're rich enough to afford a servant, you, you may even own them in the ancient Near, East, ancient Near Eastern sense. You should not be concerned for their welfare. <laughs> that servant is there for, for, for your ends, for what you need. You're not meant to like them. You're not even meant to be concerned about them. <laughs> You're not meant to be worried about them in any kind of a way. But here this centurion somehow has compassion. This servant is tormented, paralyzed, maybe by polio, is tormented, is strained. The same word for when an oar is going to break in half. In Matthew chapter 14, that servant is under great strain. And the, and the centurion's concerned and comes to Jesus asking. Strange. And Jesus says, I will, I will go. And I, I, shall, I shall come and I shall, uh, shall I come and heal him. Jesus uh, really, as a Jew in that time, ought not have been concerned either with this centurion, but yet Jesus is. Jesus is looking at a, a force who's occupying uh, his home area. Uh, soldiers who have killed people, who operate by force and violence. And here is Jesus going in and asking about healing for his servant. Jesus is revealed here in the beginning of this story as one who doesn't run from sickness, who doesn't run from pain, who doesn't run from bruising. But he asks this centurion, shall I, shall I just come and heal him? And we see the heart, the desire, the vision of Jesus to come and make this servant well. And friends, all of us in our lives are are going to go through times that are, are where we're broken, where we've gone down the wrong path, where we have a burden, maybe a physical sickness or illness that, that really just takes us out, wipes us out. And we can sometimes wonder how God sees us, what Christ's desire is for us. And here we see the desire of Christ to come, to be present in the middle of this and to heal. Well, the next set of verses, starting at verse 8, speak now about the authority of Jesus. I'll read just verse 8 uh, and verse 9. The centurion replies to Jesus. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. What we learn about Christ's authority in these verses is that the nature of his authority is that it's absolute. Christ's authority is absolute. And the centurion tells, tells us about this. So that starts, though. He says to Jesus, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And that's, that's kind of a strange response. Jesus says, well, shall I come and heal your servant? And, and the man gives this, gives this weird answer. I don't, I don't deserve to even have you come. Maybe he would say, thank you. Yeah, I need you, Jesus. Come on, I'm over here. I'll run with you in this direction. But instead, the centurion sees something within himself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Literally, in Greek, that is, I am not worthy. It's the word hikonos. 
John the Baptist uses that same word, that same phrase. After me, John the Baptist says, will come one whose sandals I am not fit even to carry. And so facing Jesus, the centurion realizes something about himself, about his heart, about his life. That in the face of Jesus, who has this authority, he believes to heal his servant. In the face of Christ, he is not worthy. In the face of him who is the ancient of days, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the one who has authority, he is not worthy. And friends, all of us begin this story in a way with this centurion, don't we? Our problem might not be that we have physical things that we need healing for this morning. Maybe we do, but our overall problem as humanity is not that we need physical healing for our bodies, but that we need healing for our souls and for the problem of sin. Centurion gives this strange alternative to Jesus. He says, Jesus, instead of you coming to my house, why don't you just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's a strange alternative that he gives, but the centurion understands something about the nature of Christ's word and the nature of Christ's authority. And the centurion gives this alternative, but he also gives this little parable as to, as to, how, as to how this, why he understands this. He says, look, when I'm a centurion in the army and when I speak, it happens. I'm in charge of 100 men. And when I say something, the person below me, you know, does it. Uh, there's no need to follow up. I don't have to send the follow-up email. I don't have to call them the next week and say, did it happen or did it not happen? And the centurion understands something about the authority, the nature of Christ's authority. And he, the parable he uses, or the example he uses, is about the chain of command in the Roman army. Now, I'll just give you that for a minute. The, the, the little Roman military chart. Maybe you can see that up there. You have the, at the very bottom the legionnaires. Then you have the optio, you have the centurion, you have the tribune, you have the prefect, you have the legate, and above him you have a general, and above him you have a uh, you have the emperor, right? And so when the centurion says to the person below him, you know, go and do this, the centurion's actually speaking with the authority of the person above him, the tribune. And when the tribune is speaking to the centurion, he's actually speaking with the authority of the person above him, the prefect. And when the prefect speaks and so on and so forth, they're speaking with the authority of not only themselves, but as the one above them in this chain of command of the emperor. And so when the centurion speaks to one of the hundred men in his, in his, in his, uh, in his century, it's, he's speaking with the authority of the emperor himself. And so this centurion is getting to the heart of Christ's authority. The nature of his authority is that it is absolute Jesus is vested with God's authority. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. His word is able and, and effectual and powerful. He says in John, I and the, and the Father are one. Don Carson says, Christ's authority was God's authority, and his word was active because it was God's word. 
The Roman army was an incredible military force. The centurion is putting Christ's authority even higher than that and greater than that. Friends, how do we see the authority of Christ in our lives? When he speaks, do we hum and haw? When we hear Christ saying something to us, do we note it down and maybe think about it? And maybe a little while later, the Lord needs to remind us again. Maybe that's often the case for us. But the nature of Christ's authority is absolute. And so when he speaks to us, when we hear from him in his word, we are meant simply to do and to follow. As Mary says, his mother in That story, Christ's first miracle, the wedding in Cana, what does she say? She says to them, do as he tells you. And so we can trust as we follow Christ. His authority is absolute. We can trust him. We can do as he says. He's the son of God. And what he says has power and effect in us and in our world. The second point we can look at here is in verse 10. We hear about what honors Christ's authority. How is Christ's authority honored? It's honored, we learn, by faith. By faith. Verse 10 says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, I, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of heaven, but the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus hears the centurion say this about the nature of his authority. And Jesus is astonished, amazed, it says. Usually it's the crowds in Matthew that are amazed at Jesus. Here Jesus is amazed at this Roman military officer. What does it take to amaze Jesus? What does it take to amaze the eternal Son of God, the one who's come from heaven to earth incarnate, living among us? What does it take to amaze him? I mean, what, a beautiful sunset on a beach somewhere? You know, the Rocky Mountains in all their glory with snow peaks, a beautiful blue sky, the Grand Canyon. What does it take to amaze Jesus? Let's take to astonish him. Centurion comes to Jesus here. Jesus isn't amazed by his, his resume. The centurion hasn't written a book. Centurion hasn't even given some great speech. What amazes Jesus about the centurion is his great faith. In fact, Jesus is so amazed by the faith he sees in the centurion that he pulls out this well-known image by every Jew in that time. Everyone listening in that time would have understood this image. It's the image of the messianic banquet. The end of time. Every Jew in that time would have been longing for this great banquet, the great return of the Messiah, when all will be brought into the presence of God, when the Messiah will come and make all things well and all things right. This is the the pinnacle, the direction, that great eschatological banquet in the last days. Jesus is amazed because the centurion, without that background, 
without that heritage, without that lineage, without all that behind them, gets something about Christ. And Christ honors and cherishes what the centurion has, what God has given the centurion, which is simple faith. Friends, Christ loves us, we know, with our backgrounds, our lineages, our experiences. He, he calls us, regardless of all those things, with joy to follow him. No matter where we're from, country or, or, or creed or, or background or family situation, whatever that past thing is, Jesus here sees this beautiful thing in the centurion's life where he was so surprised to find it. He sees faith. He sees one trusting in Jesus for who he is. He's so astonished, he brings up this image of the banquet, and he says, even in verse 12, he says, look, not everyone will get this. This will not be given to everyone. This is not a given. He says in verse 12, some won't get it. The insiders in verse 12 won't get it, he says. Jesus says it's possible to live our lives so entrenched in our own thinking, so entrenched in this passage in our own religious thinking, that we miss what Jesus honors, loves, cherishes, calls us to, the gift that God gives us, which is faith in Him. There's no other way that God accepts us to come to Him. There, there's no other, no other way that we come to Jesus except by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says we'll walk by faith and not by sight. Faith, we know, is being certain of realities that we cannot see with our eyes. Friends, do we ever ask for things in faith of Jesus that astonish him? Do we ever ask for things of Jesus in faith that we think we don't deserve? Well, part of the good news of the gospel in this story is that Jesus cherishes this, wants this, wants this drawn up in the centurion and in our lives. He wants us to come to him with radical faith, not, in, not to come to him with a, the good things we've done or the good things we're going to do. Being a Christian is not about becoming are by ourselves a better and better and better person. We know God said, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us have ever loved our neighbors as ourselves for more than five minutes? If we really did that, that would change our lives and the world radically. We can't do it ourselves. Jesus calls us here to come to him in faith. We come and are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. What do we believe about the authority of Jesus? Does Jesus honor our faith? One way to understand, I think, what we really believe about Jesus and who he is is to write our prayers down. How are we praying? What does what our prayers say about what we believe? and how big and powerful and mighty and able Jesus is. 
Well, the nature of his faith, what honors the nature of his authority, what honors his authority, faith. And the third point is, in this passage, the scope of his authority, the scope of his authority. In verse 14, we read these verses. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That, That first part, The scope of Christ's authority, coming into Peter's house, healing his mother-in-law, continuing to heal on the Sabbath day. The scope of Christ's authority is that it's universal. (laughs) It's not bound by anything. He comes into, Jesus comes into Peter's house, he heals his Uh, mother-in-law. His mother-in-law's got a fever. Maybe she has malaria, we don't know. Yeah, the fever is a problem. You're not meant to touch people with a fever. But like he does with the leper, Jesus walks up to her, touches her, and the fever goes by his power, by his might, because of who he is. And that healing is immediate and it's effective. And it happens right there. She gets up and she begins to wait on them. It happens right before their eyes. And then evening comes and says, many more real, demon-possessed, spirit, all come to him. And this passage, I think this part shows us that the scope of Christ's authority is universal. It's not confined to one time or one place or one life. If we just look at this whole section of passages we've been on so far, we look at the scope of Christ's authority to heal. And he's healed someone on the outside of society, the beginning, a leper. Then he's uh, healed a servant. He's healed uh, someone in a, in, in a family household. He's, he's healed a Jew, a Gentile, a woman. He's healed in the day. He's healed in the night. He's healed someone with leprosy, polio, malaria. And as the passage goes, it's more and more. It grows and grows. It expands and expands. And so the authority of Jesus is for all people, for all times, is effective in all times and places. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All through the New Testament, once Jesus is risen from the grave and his resurrection is witnessed by, his risen is, is, is witnessed by so many. We hear time and time again that he has come for all, all who call on the name of the Lord, we read in Acts shall be saved. In 1 John, we read that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the whole world. How often do we put Jesus in a a small box? How often do we want to restrict Jesus in where he's able to work? How often do we restrict Jesus to thinking he's just someone who works within the church or within our households? He is the Savior we read of the whole world. That's why the angels proclaimed his coming in Luke in the heavens, in the skies, that the whole world would see. 
He's our Savior, and He's our friend. But He's also come for all people in all times, in all places, in every situation. And as a church, we are called always to be outward, aren't we? And to join in the mission of Jesus Christ in the world to the brokenhearted, to the bruised, to those on the edges, to those who have not heard of the good news of Jesus Christ, to those who believe the lies of the devil, that they are not worth it or aren't loved by God. We're called to be outward and to live under the authority of Jesus in all the world. But we have the nature of his authority. It's absolute. We have what Jesus cherishes, what honors his authority. That's faith. We have the scope of his authority. Is it a tiny savior? No. It's the savior of the world. He operates and has been sent because God loves the whole world. And finally, we see these verses at the end. Jesus heals, says the centurion, go, it'll be done for you just as you believed. The servant's healed at that very hour. We see that powerful word, it's done. We see faith. And then we see this section at the end about the foundation of Christ's authority. Just verse 17. I'll read that for us. This was to fulfill. This is what's, what's happened all the way so far in chapter 8. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities. He bore our diseases. Friends, the foundation of Christ's authority is his sacrifice. He doesn't come with a, with a, with a club to the world, you know, to, to pound us all into submission. This is a Savior who comes with authority to heal. And that, the foundation of that authority is his sacrifice. The one who's come from heaven to earth. The king who has become hum, the humble servant. And it's strange that we would get verse 17 at the end of this series of healings in Matthew. Isn't it strange that we would get this prophecy fulfilled that Matthew talks about? It says, we, he took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. This is from Isaiah. It's one of the servant songs from the prophet Isaiah. It's picked up in the New Testament many times. And it's a prophecy about Jesus and about his life and what he is going to be about. And every time we pick it up in the New Testament, and there's a verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, how, how we were... Um, we were, uh, we were, is that up on the screen? I'll get it. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. I'll read the whole thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Here's an echo of this servant song. He, bo he himself bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die to sins and live by, for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Every time the servant songs are brought up in the New Testament, it's about uh, Christ forgiving our sins, dying for our sins, taking our sicknesses, but also our, sin, our sins upon himself. Why is it that a passage on healing, physical healing, ends up about 
Christ's atonement, his substitutionary atonement. Why is it that a passage on healing ends up at the cross? The foundation of his authority is rooted in his sacrifice. What, is, what are we talking about here? It's a truth we see in the New Testament that, that all disease and all sickness, and maybe you're living with a disease or a sickness now in your own life or extended family, and how painful that can be and how debilitating that can be. But all disease and all sickness, we know, um, is caused by sin. Not directly always, but, but, but directly or indirectly. We know that from Scripture. And so Jesus coming to the earth to deal with the problem of sin means that he's dealing with the root condition of humanity. And so in Matthew, we see these healings always pointing forward. We see Jesus healing. It's always pointing forward to what he's going to do on the cross. Matthew 26 and verse 29, he talks about his death. But he also talks about drinking again in the kingdom of his father. This is a story, a passage today that is meant to give us a foretaste of the kingdom of God. These healings point to the cross because on the cross, Jesus deals with sin and he deals with death. And in his dealing with sin and death, he, he makes it possible for humanity to be restored. Friends, this centurion comes to Jesus uh, looking for healing for his servant. But he, he gets a lot more. He gets the kingdom. How will we respond today to Christ's authority? How will we live under him who has authority to heal? Maybe this is your first or second time in church. Maybe you're just checking out Christianity, thinking about Jesus, what he's about. Maybe you've done this a long time. Whatever it is, it's a question for each one of us. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is able. He is the Son of God. How is it then that we shall live under him who has authority to heal, to forgive, to cleanse, to make right? Friends, the nature of his authority is absolute. Follow him unreservedly. What he says we can go for, we can base our lives on what he says to us. What honors his authority? Faith. Friends, we can trust him. The scope of his authority is universal. It's for you. What's happening in your workplace, what's happening in our world right now, it's all under him. The foundation of his authority is sacrifice. Christ died for you. He died for me that we might live. Let us bow down, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you today in faith. We come thanking you for who you are. We come acknowledging your authority. We would bow our knee before you. We would thank you, we would praise you. We would want to live our lives with joy under your power and under your strength. Amen.